The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. Help us to bring you great conversations with great photographers. Support the show today with your monthly contribution through our Patreon effort at patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame or click on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. Thank you. This is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. If you have an interest in photography, which you no doubt have if you're listening to this show, you know that there has never been a better time to learn and enjoy photography. It's not just that smartphones have made photography more accessible than ever before. It's that the internet has provided the means by which you can easily learn the how and why of making a great photograph. A big part of that evolution in learning has been Creative Live, which has provided worldwide access to some of the world's best photographers, including Joe McNally, Lindsay Adler, Sue Bryce, Tamara Lackey, and hundreds of others. It's a level of learning that would have been unimaginable a decade ago. And if you've checked out a few of their classes, one face that is likely familiar to you is that a senior host, Kenna Klosterman, who has been part of Creative Live from the very beginning. But along with her role as a moderator of many of Creative Life's courses, she's also an accomplished photographer. And she's recently been combining her passion for photography and travel with several visits to the country of Cuba. Whether she's traveling for herself or leading a workshop, Kenna's work in Cuba is a culmination of a variety of choices that have led her to a photographic life filled with both creativity and joy. Well, Kenna, welcome to The Candor Frame. It's a pleasure to have you. Well, thank you so much for having me. We've known each other for a long time, though. We've never had a chance to really sit down and chat extensively, so I'm kind of looking forward to this. I know. Me as well. I mean, we had you on Creative Live via Skype years ago years now, ago. so yeah. it's it's fun to actually be on your show now. Yeah, and I've, you know, you've been a familiar face since Creative Live, because I, I, was, I was there watching from the very first episodes that you guys did how many years ago seven years ago now seven years can you believe it yeah i can (laughs) just just makes me feel older and older and it's just like oh me too (laughs) (laughs) me as well grown a lot though i've grown a lot i want to i want to talk to you about uh, about that but you know one of the things is i want to know more about you because i've i've learned stuff about you as a result of watching the creative life classes and have you and you and, you know, because you share some about your own experiences as a photographer. But I'm like, I'm curious to who Kenna was before all that. Um, mm. And one of the things I'm, uh, I know about you is that you have this you had this huge travel lust because uh, I know you and Susan traveled all, a lot. But where did that where did that begin? Are you sort of a Seattle native that always had are you from originally from Seattle? Nope, I am a third generation Los Angelian. So Are you? born and right yep, born and raised in LA. Where? Um in West LA. Oh, and okay. Yeah, yeah. I didn't so know that. I'll have to visit you the next time I'm down yeah, there. Yeah, definitely. So um so yeah, born and raised in LA and went to undergrad studying anthropology. Um so I've always been really fascinated with culture and humans and the way we all think and act and history and it's really a bucket for everything about curiosity of human beings Uh, and then I ended up going to work for um, two photographers fine art photographers out in rural Pennsylvania so that took me across the country Um, and I I had studied abroad in undergrad uh, but I hadn't traveled a ton um, outside of the U.S. And so, but I think, yeah, the travel bug really started when I was in undergrad studying in Salzburg, Austria, where I did do a photo program there. 
was working with the photographers would spur your interest in photography or did that sort of come no come i'm later? one of those i black and white dark room in high school fell in love with photography when i was 15 uh, my dad is a, a location manager in los angeles okay. so he was always coming home with massive amounts of three by five prints that he would tape together for the you know directors oh, yeah. and producers to show them what scenes looked like and that was really you know back in the day um so he is a photographer and um i just fell in love with black and white in high school studied it somewhat in college as well and then i uh, went to work for these photographers who then were in their 50s and they're amazing photographers but still living month to month essentially um yeah. collected all over the world published um, they are in museums, exhibitions, but the life of a professional fine art photographer is really hard. And that scared me when I was mm. 22. And so I kind of went a different direction and it took about 15 years to get back into photography as, as my part of my actual career itself. So what, what was happening for you in, in that, in that, in that, during that well, period of time, what were you, how were you quote unquote playing it safe? I went to business school <laughs> and got my MBA in marketing and after working for a small entrepreneurial company still in Pennsylvania. So I thought, okay, I go and I get my degree, which was very unlikely for me to go to business school in the first place, being an anthropologist, went to yeah. Berkeley, like kind of hippie. Um, and then, um, but it saw it as a way to shift and uh, to open up doors and opportunities. And it did. I went to work for General Mills, uh, working in corporate marketing. I went to then Getty Images. That's what moved me to Seattle oh, okay. uh, to work on the product marketing team. I worked for Expedia, also product marketing. Um, but all of these big companies, I kept getting really depressed and not feeling alive and thinking that um, I wasn't good enough and all of these things um, that then I felt like it was those companies. Uh, but eventually I realized that it was actually me <laughs> and that uh, I was really not made for that corporate world. Um, and in between there was when I kind of took a mid-career break and traveled, like you said, with my best friend, uh, Susan Roderick, as well as our other friend, Ariella. But that was after, yeah, sort of leaving the corporate world and then going and traveling for a year, photographing, came back, worked for T-Mobile, again, corporate job, the economy had tanked, and I lasted six months. Um, uh. <laughs> and then I was really out. But soon afterwards, I found Creative Live and everything changed. T tell me about coming to the realization that it was you rather than the job, because I think a lot of people, you know, get into that and they don't ever develop that awareness that it's it's not so much the circumstances that you're in as it is what's inside. So what sort of helped you get to the point that you could realize that that was just going on and that you had some power over your over your life? Right. I, and, I, and I feel, I will say, I feel extremely fortunate to have made that revelation when I did. Uh, I, I felt like, you know, you realize that you're the one putting more pressure on yourself than probably anyone else is. Uh, I can distinctly remember sitting down to do a performance review and performance reviews. Now I have like PTSD. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, and, and just not um, feeling again, not feeling like I was good enough um, to to do all these things. And I think um, I, I got to a point where I realized that in the corporate world, again, this is me saying how it felt like for me, that the people who succeed are the biggest BSers, if you will. <laughs> and if you're able to walk into a room and BS your way around, again, not knocking that's a very big generalization, um, but that wasn't my style. Um, and so I, it was a pretty short succession of leaving these companies and feeling like, oh, okay, well, they're not, there's not enough resources for the expectations that they have. And then it was the same story the next time. And then it was the same story the next time. And I'd wake up one day and be paralyzed and not be able to go in, not be able to write my performance review. And I would literally had went and um, went on leave of absence um, for depression and anxiety. And I'm, I want to talk about that because I know a lot of people um, don't talk about that. Mm -hmm. And so many of us, especially creatives, um, suffer 
And so um, it was actually then my aunt died. One of my, my aunt died of breast cancer at an early age. And it was being there with her at the end that I said, I am not living and I want to live. Mm. And that was, it was very, very scary. It was, it really was kind of those, that big moments in your life where something happens and you realize what life is really about. Yeah. And having that time to, to travel with people that you care about was probably mm-hmm. a real way of, of sort of cementing that, which is Absolutely. why your, your return to the corporate world was so short-lived afterwards. But tell us about what that was like during that time to be traveling with your, with your best friend and exploring the world together. You know, it's a, it's a very different thing to be a traveler than a tourist. Mm-hmm. And I remember meeting someone when I was in India e- years before that, because I did start to travel a lot when I, once I went to business school. I remember meeting a woman who said that she was traveling for a year. And I just thought that was the coolest thing ever mm-hmm. and that it was kind of unattainable. But it was like that set in my mind probably five years before we did this trip, six years. And so you get into a different zone where you talk about feeling alive. Um, when I'm traveling, especially long term, it is really Um, experiencing the world, experiencing life. For me, photography is a way to experience the world and experience life and experience culture and meet people. It's kind of a tool and excuse to have those interactions with people. And and so we were truly doing that in in many, many different countries. Uh, I like to say it was kind of a sampler platter of around the world trip. I think we went to too many places. We went to 21 countries, mm-hmm. um, which is a lot in, in one year. And it was really the places where I spent the longest that really had the most meaningful experiences for me. So for me, photography was sort of the the activity and that gave me some kind of meaning. Yeah. Because when you do travel for that long, you definitely have times, first of all, it's not easy. <laughs> Yeah. A lot of people say, oh, you're so lucky. I was like, well, nobody handed this over to me. And um, it's hard. Uh, and there are times where you start to find, like, what am I really doing? Like, what is this? What is my meaning in today getting up and going and seeing the sites or interacting with people? So it's definitely sort of a you go through these different waves um, of of what am I doing? But I could always come back to, for me, I could always come back to photography as as what I was producing. Um, whether I've done anything with all of those images or not. <laughs> <laughs> those 30,000, 40,000 images that, that I created during that time frame. You know, you talked earlier about not feeling good enough or having a, a, a sort of a lack of self-worth living within the confines of, you know, the business world. And... It's, it's really hard to be self-reflective in terms of what your needs are when you're working in an environment because you're adhering to someone else's idea of what you should be doing, your expectations. But like you just said, when you have the freedom to sort of define your life under your own terms, there's no rule book, there's no guidelines, and you are sort of forced to be very introspective. So That's true. So during that time, what did you learn about yourself and how did that sort of sort of change your feelings of self-worth and identity and you know that's a lifelong journey so i still still struggle and practice every day Uh, but for me one of the things that i realized during that year or continued on during my development here at creative live um, is really for me my biggest lesson is letting go and so I do have all these expectations um, for myself or my, I should be able to do this. My therapist once said, don't should on yourself, which I love. Mm-hmm. Don't yeah. should on yourself. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but truly, you have to let go of things that you, like you said, sh- thought, think you should be doing and those, you know, self-talk, all of those things. Um, so my constant practice, I think, is letting go. But I, I did, because you, there is no script, like you said, I, again, it was 
tough times, tough times trying to figure out what I was doing. And those challenges, I guess, make you very introspective. I start, sort of sounds cliche right now, but I got into meditation. Uh, that was a life changer. Uh, I was, side note, had, was experiencing a lot of chronic pain, uh, chronic back pain since I was 20. And I'm happy to say that I've been pain-free for three years, three and a half years. And so that was a lot of working through a lot of mind-body stuff. Um, and, uh, and a lot of that is the letting go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think it's all connected. I think for me, a lot of it is just understanding that awareness is key. And you have to actually work at awareness, <laughs> I guess. Um, you have to be aware of being aware because you have to pause and I guess coming back around, my biggest lesson has been that self-care is the secret. My close friends, uh, we always, you find yourself connected to people who talk about the same things all the time. And that's one of the topics that we are drawn to a lot is that self-care. And it's not being selfish, but realizing that you can't help others until you do help yourself Mm -hmm. and really embodying that and internalizing that has definitely been part of my journey. So how did you get on board with Creative Alive? Well, after I quit the corporate world for the fourth time, I uh, then decided to try to make a go of it as a professional photographer. Uh, Again, I had been photographing for 20 years or whatever it was at the time. And Yet, I felt like I didn't have certain skills that I thought you needed to be a professional photographer. So I didn't know lighting. I didn't know Photoshop. uh, I didn't know exactly what kind of genre I wanted to go in. I also had no money. I was, you know, I'm still paying off my student loans. I owned a condo, but I had to, you know, downsize and sell that. And so in the midst of this, I found Creative Live. I saw free photography classes. I saw a tweet. I just signed up for Twitter. And my friend Susan Roderick and I, who was one of the the hosts here on Cradle Live as well, I'll never forget because we thought, oh, we were going to walk in and there'd be hundreds of people for these free photography classes in person. And it was in the back of Art Wolf's studio. And we were like, this is going to be great. It was Susan's birthday, January 13th, 2009. And... We walked in and there were like two people in these big comfy lounge chairs. Wow. And we were like, where are all the people? This is a gold mine. And so we just, because we were both unemployed, uh, we both started to go on a regular basis. And Craig Swanson, the founder, co-founder, uh, he liked us. And we just started to then volunteer. And we volunteered for a year and a half because that's what it was back then. Yeah. So we were, by the time we were on screen, we were hosting, we were still volunteering. And uh, after a year, and my family thought I was crazy. <laughs> so I was, on the one hand, trying to build my photography business as a portrait photographer. And uh, like a lot of people do, no, weddings is not for me. Uh, but I did really like uh, family portraits, um, maternity portraits, baby portraits. So I was in that genre of uh, family portraits. But I was actually, and while I was learning skills at Creative Live, I was actually putting more time and energy into that volunteering at Creative Live than I was into building a business. And as we all go through, as photographers who are trying to build a business, you at some point realize that it's 90% business, 10% photography. Right. And I realized that I was more interested in working with a group of people in a creative environment. And so I did get to a point about two years in where they wanted to hire me full time. And I didn't know what to do. I thought that saying yes meant that I had failed with my photography business. I mean, I truly believed that because it it wasn't sustainable because I wasn't putting the 120% into it. And yet I was creating this thing that is now Creative Live Uh, And I wasn't giving myself credit for that, really. Uh, So I did end up uh, making the decision to stop trying to do 
photography as you know portrait business as my main business and went came on board full time at Cradle Live and could not have made a better decision for me personally uh, for me personally and of course now it's kind of gone full circle five plus years after that two years in where now I am building my own business again but you know I've learned a ton in I can only those imagine years. yeah because you've had some amazingly talent people go through those offices to create the classes i mean it's 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 more than any college education could ever afford anyone ever i feel so fortunate yeah it's really is the best job in the world so besides what you've learned about the photographic process which i know is a lot i'm i'm more curious is what's what's been the more valuable lesson that you've gleaned from all the many people that you've had a chance to collaborate with there? Great question. I, I think that the most successful classes here on Creative Live are ones that have a combination of these actionable things that you can learn and do and take and apply combined with some inspiration to help keep you motivated and get there. And I like to call it actionable tears because especially in the early days, tears like crying tears, mm-hmm. in the early days, these classes can be transformational for people. And especially when we would have people here, in per- we have people here in person with us in the classroom at Creative Live, and people would get to the end of a three-day intensive and with kind of the final go forth and conquer talk from one of the educators, people would, we would be crying I mean, I would be crying. I'd have to like do my final sell and I'd be like, whoa, mm-hmm. I'm for clumped. Like I can't. <laughs> um, and so for me, the deep down lesson in all of that, because talking about lighting isn't necessarily going to make you cry. Talking about Photoshop isn't necessarily going to make you cry. Within the guise of all of those classes is all of that self-development work and all of that, all of the things that, make you believe and truly feel and believe that you're going to be able to do something. Mm -hmm. And so those lessons often truly come down to do the work. And I know, again, this is very cliche as well right now, um, is, is what's the secret to people's success is actually they get up every day and they go and they work and they work and they work hard. And, you know, that's Stephen Pressfield, um, and, you know, lots of authors, lots of people that, that talk about that. But truly, in the hundreds of classes that I have hosted here on Creative Live, um, ultimately, I think that's my biggest takeaway. And so when I am frustrated with myself, I go back to, well, what are you doing about it? What are you doing today yeah. about those things that you're telling yourself you're not doing? Because I am just always, I still should on myself. You should be doing this. Like, you're not far enough along in this project. You could be doing, especially with all the classes I've taken on Creative Live, I know what you can do <laughs> to be successful. Wrong. I have that knowledge, but it's only when you put it into action that anything happens. You know, I have all these tools out there. But if I don't use them, which is the doing the work, mm-hmm. then I'm not actually actualizing those things or, or creating. So I think it really is that you have to wake up and believe in yourself. And yet every day we all kind of often wake up and don't believe in ourselves. So then it's about use, you know learning the different tools to, to help you be aware and come back around and reset and do the work. Yeah. And I, I look at that from, from two sides because one of them certainly is a feeling of self-worth and feeling like I'm good enough or that I know, I know enough to be able to do the work, right? It's not about getting to the point where you're ready because you're never going to be ready, right? And that's, that's, a part of, that's a part of being able to get past that, that, that feeling of anxiety to be able to do the work. But also, I sometimes think that sometimes if you're resisting doing the work, sometimes it's not necessarily just about not feeling ready or feeling good enough. Maybe that's a sign that's not really what you need or want to be doing. And that's just as important of a, a lesson as anything. Because sometimes you can beat yourself up for doing something that innately you really aren't meant to be doing. And that's something that I've had to, uh, uh, had to learn. 
I 100% agree with you on that. Uh, going back to that example of me feeling like I was failing with that portrait photography business, right. mm-hmm. it wasn't a failure because A, it got me to where I was, but B, I realized that that's not what I really wanted to be doing in that time, at that moment. And so the fact that often you think you want something, but if you're not doing it, if you really, 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 really wanted it, mm-hmm. you would be doing it. Uh, my friend Sue Bryce says, talks about this um, in terms of, well, do you really want it? Because if you wanted it, you, you would be working towards it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, so, yeah, so having that awareness about what you truly want tied with what you're actually doing is 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 probably one of the secrets of keeping yourself sane. And it seems like right now you're doing just that. You are doing something, you know, with your work in Cuba that is something that you want to do. You're putting in the work to make that happen. But tell me how you sort of got to that point and started doing the work to make that happen. So how did that sort of manifest itself? Absolutely. You just say the word Cuba and my eyes light up and my smile gets really big. Yeah. Um, I've, I have, um, I lead photography tours there in addition to doing some other, uh, some other uh, projects, uh, including filming a production. I can talk a little bit about that too. But my friend and educator here on Creative Live, John Gringo, is a, a fellow traveler photographer and he and I had been talking about wanting to go to Cuba and wanting to travel a bunch of different places. And so he had led photo tours before, I hadn't. And he said, well, what do you think about partnering up and trying to put together a tour, a photography tour to Cuba? And I said, sure thing, absolutely sign me up. I had never been on a group tour, let alone led one. So I was a little bit questionable as to whether I would personally enjoy it. But it turned out just to definitely that first trip changed everything for me. And I immediately fell in love with the people of Cuba, the experience, and in fact, guiding people. uh, Because I realized that a lot of what I do here as a host is similar skills to guiding people uh, on in travel and combining everything I love to do. So here at Creative Live, I'm a guide for the instructors. I'm a guide for the studio audience. I'm a guide for the online audience. I'm a guide, you know, through all of your education and transformation. And basically, it's kind of holding space for someone to have a transformational experience. And I found myself in Cuba. I make sure everyone's okay. I want to make sure everyone's, you know, having a good time, drinking enough water, getting the photos that they want, and all of these things, having these interpersonal interactions. And what brings me great joy is creating phenomenal once-in-a-lifetime experiences for people. And I get to relive what I felt that first time in Cuba over and over and over again through these other people. And so... That it was thanks to John Gringo that uh, he asked me to partner up with him. And then we did a tour to Morocco. And then I said, I want to be a Cuba travel photography specialist. And I remember distinctly making that mental decision. First thing I did was go get myself a an Instagram, a Cuba-only Instagram, because I thought, okay, I need to brand myself that. And so I got at Cuba photo, which um, is kind of surprising now that I was able to get that at the time. But uh, Instagram was new to uh, people in Cuba. So I just kind of started a mentally saying this is what I want to work toward. And then kind of taking putting that out there in the world, talking to people so much and and creating these trips and doing all these things where um, reading up on it, studying Uh, making connections, where now I have just a lot of people who, when they hear Cuba, they send me things, they, you know, give me articles. It's like, now people equate me with Cuba because I talk about it so much. And I am so excited. And I like, infuse sort of the the energy that, um, that gets me excited when I'm there. So, so I think, you know, it was this combination of having this experience, and then 
wanting to do it again and again and again, and uh, then finding opportunities to allow me to do that and saying yes to things. Oh, talk talk to me about that because that's I think that's always an important thing because I I as my as my wife will attest sometimes I say no far too quickly, you know. Yes. <laughs> but but <laughs> no yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I find that that the, the more I say yes despite whatever discomfort I'm feeling is often a really good thing to do. But talk to me about that because I think that's really important. Well, I think a, a lot of this uh, is is a risk. So it's a risk for me to not work at Creative Live as much. Um, so, um, so, you know, a, a, I'm very, very, very grateful for this opportunity to be able to work at Creative Live when I'm here, but have the ability to uh, take some chunks of time to go do these tours. Because uh, for a while, I was just using all my vacation time to work. And then it got to a point pretty quickly where I no longer had any more vacation time to go do these things. And so there were times when it was, you know, risky to say, go take this time off, uh, risky to maybe take fewer people and just uh, from a financial standpoint, knowing that I wasn't um, going to have the trip make as much money as I had, you know, opportunity costs doing something else. But I knew, I knew in my heart that that was um, an investment in, you know, in any business, you're not always making money right away or what have you. And so part of it is just saying yes to myself, in addition to um, other opportunities that that come that come your way right there are times when you can do the safe thing and so it's easier to say no to something that's riskier Mm -hmm. and yet it's really when you say yes whether that's to yourself or to somebody else offering offering you the opportunity that that that's where that transformation or shift or growth can happen tell me about how how you experience cuba not only because you're having to be a facilitator for someone, for someone else, but just from your own creativity perspective. I mean, you're going out there with, you know, with John and, and with Deanne and he's really talented and amazing photographer. So I think that provides you uh, an insight into not just that, not just that world, but how you see the world through the camera. Talk to me about what that experience is like for you as, as a photographer. Sure. I mean, a lot of, Cuba is street photography and everywhere you look there is something that is photographically amazing um, to to the to the common eye and I think over time I mean it still is every every time this past time like I said I was with photographer Deanne Fitzmorris and she's like do you get ever get like you know tired of these same photographing these same scenes and I I said no because in, you could spend an entire day in one block and just watch life. Life happens in the streets. Yeah. To, to be a little bit more specific, I mean, with John, I've learned all about light and about um, panning and um, with the old cars and just really, uh, really focusing on when you want to be where and creating these opportunities for uh, the best photographs and the light in Cuba can be phenomenal. From Deanne, this most recent trip, she's a Pulitzer Prize winning photojournalist and she does deep, deep stories. And so she was looking, going to do this particular story. And so being able to just be there and experience just the two of us and how she works and what she does and observe her and I would take notes when she was interacting with other people and then feed them back to her and say, here's what I learned from you directly. And and so that storytelling journalism aspect at a very deep level, uh, that will change things for me. Uh, and, and then the other project I just did, which was phenomenal, uh, was working with Adorama TV. Adorama TV hired me to be the Cuba field producer for a series called Through the Lens Cuba. And so we took uh, six photographers who um, are big Instagrammers, but also um, are, are Sony part of the Sony Alpha Collective. And we did a documentary about Cuba through their eyes. So talking about seeing, again, seeing Cuba 
through the eyes of, of very talented photographers uh, was just phenomenal to see their take on it and all of us in the same place and what certain people capture and how they light things and how they even tone things afterward uh, and and one was a filmmaker Andy too and I learned so much from watching him I'm really excited to try to do more film um, more moving pictures uh, as well and that's something that the more you see other people doing things, the more you then get to try them yourself. And so being in the field and watching people do what they do is, that's the most phenomenal experience. And it's such a learning opportunity, even though you're being the facilitator. You know? Oh, correct. Sometimes, uh, sometimes I'm not photographing like the trip with Adorama. I was producing, helping produce. And so I found myself having to sit back and not always be photographing. But then I took that as an opportunity to give myself challenges, such as one day with Andy showing me some tips about about uh, using the Sony, which was also a new camera to me that I was using. And so uh, using that for film and just the different types of shots that he gets and how just with his tips, I said, okay, I've been to Vinales to this tobacco farm before. I know I will be back here. So what I'm going to do is just do film, just mm-hmm. do video clips. And that was really hard for me. Or I'll give myself challenges like, okay, I'm just going to take this one lens. And so I think um, it's pushed me. It's pushed me to continue to see Cuba in in different ways. I also go deeper and deeper every time. This is, I just came back from my eighth trip there. And it's a place that has so many layers and is so complex. And I am a very curious person by nature. That's why this is an incredible job for me. Why, I mean, the opportunity just to learn and explore and learn and explore. Photography feeds my curiosity as well, a visual curiosity. But it's, it's, um, it's just fascinating to go deeper and deeper and see things past that surface level of the cars on the street in Cuba and the beautiful light um, each time I go. And so I have some sort of longer term projects that I'm now working on uh, that, that really continue to excite me. And that was one really cool thing about being there with Deanne. Yeah. But I think one of the, one of the things that, I, I assume that you also experience is a, a certain sense of humility about the opportunities that you've had over the course of your life, especially when you go down there and and you see uh, the circumstances under which the Cuban people have been living for, for, for decades. Th- tell me about, you know, living and working in, in that kind of community from that pers- perspective. Absolutely. Uh, I think that Cubans are the most as a people, innovative culture, um, friendly culture. But the innovation is really what I I always come back to uh, because culturally they are so strong and so proud of their culture. And and part of that, the the creativity there, um, the arts, the music, the dance, the sports, all of these things, they have created out of nothing um, per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so for me, that's what creativity is, is creating something out of nothing. And I have, yes, absolutely am humbled. And when I come back here, people say, oh, you have such a glow about you coming back. And, and, I, and it's because I feel like I'm really, really alive there. And I come back and things, I let go. I let go of things here, or I try to that would cause me anxiety or stress or what have you, uh, because relatively speaking, um, things are incredibly convenient and easy and um, here in in the US. And I mean, it's so, the average salary in Cuba is $20 a month. And these are highly, highly educated people who doctors and lawyers are working as um, drivers and engineers and, you know, because in the tourism industry, you can make more money than you right. could make otherwise. Uh, but it's not even the money. It's the ability to have access to goods, to the Internet, 
to to all of all of these things. And so my Cuban friend, my closest Cuban friend, Alain Gutierrez, who I work with uh, there, who's an amazing photojournalist, photographer, food blogger, all of these things, now entrepreneur. And he said one time when I was talking to him, he said, to dream is free. And that's what I see in Cuba is big dreams, working hard, problem solving every day. Uh, right now, I'm really interested in, in entrepreneurs in Cuba and doing stories on them because um, now people are finally able to, to become entrepreneurs um, in ways that they weren't before. And so the people who are, are becoming more and more successful, um, is it, it, it's so inspiring to see the hard work that they do have to do. Yeah. Um, and, and yes, humility, um, yes, creativity, and just strong, strong, strong people who love their families, love their culture, and really... Um, kind of what the the things that are meaningful to me in life, I guess. Yeah. And it, it amazes me that the the talent in terms of photography that's down there, especially considering historically the limited resources that they had. Because I I remember watching a documentary about Cuban photographers before the age of digital, and they talked about you know the the scarcity of film and paper and the chemistry and how they would sort of just make do and, and make some amazing work. And now in the age of digital, it's a little more accessible, I would imagine. But still, it's, you know, we don't think anything about spending $1,500 on a camera, right? And there, that's prohibitively expensive. So to, to talk about discovering that aspect of the photographic community in, in Cuba, Absolutely. Um, I mentioned that I'm doing some different projects, and one of them is with a photography school that's run out of a one-car garage uh, by that's in the back of the house of the two teachers, owners um, that live there. And their constant theme, we say it a lot here. We say a lot, oh, it's not about the gear. Mm. Oh, it's not about the gear. Well, there, it truly is not about the gear. And so learning how to see, how to create, what art is, is really is more up in your heart and your mind uh, when you have very limited access to gear. But they're learning all of the same fundamentals of what photography is uh, to that, that we are here and more um, into, you know, a lot of the every different realm of, of photography as fine art, you know, as um, as whatever it is, but there, I, what I do is I I do these uh, photo walks, photo safaris, if you will, with my groups of travelers um, as a true sort of peop- not just people to people experience, but photographer to a photographer experience, and we walk through Havana, and we see what other people see um, who live there. And then those of us who don't live there, and it's all of us are there because of our love for photography and interacting with the world through photography. So whether it's whether it's people doing it because they're uh, for their amateur love of photography, or people who are doing it as their art and trying to do it as a career, um, it's um, it's been a phenomenal experience to see the similarities that we all have sort of as as photographers as well um the gear is very limited it is very hard to uh to attain owning your own camera a lot of people are given them we like to bring down cameras a lot of people are supported by things from outside of the u.s whether it's their family that has left or other friends or people that that have interacted with them Um, i will never forget bringing down some cameras and not knowing exactly who I was going to give them to and giving a camera to to one of our guys who was one of our guides on that particular trip. And he had worked for the government as a photojournalist for 20, 25 years, hmm. never owned his own camera. And we gave it to him sort of in private and he started to tear up and he said, this changes my life. I am a free man. And what he meant was he could now go earn money in photography outside of just having to use the government-issued camera that he had and the government jobs that he had. 
And that was with an old camera that, you know, we brought down just to give away. Uh-huh. And it, I always come back to that experience in that we have take so much for granted. Um, but, you know, so there's, so there's that aspect. And then again, the arts are so rich in Cuba and um, whether it's photography or other genres, And again, it comes back to, for me, that creativity, that innovation, because it's an outlet. It is free. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Well, not, you know, not certain gear things, but, um, but, but creating is. And, um, and so, yeah, those are kind of things that I always come back to. So if if people are interested in in sort of joining you on one of these trips, can you sort of give us a sort of idea of what's involved and, and what they can expect from the experience? Sure. Uh, I So I do these photography tours and usually we take 12 people max. Uh, we'll spend time in Havana and then we'll go outside of Havana. Right now, uh, two of the spots uh, that a lot of people go to, Vinales and Trinidad, are absolutely gorgeous. But I'm trying to now take people out to further areas that are not as touristed yet. So um, take people out to the East Coast. So it's, it really is, for the photography tours, really all about setting up experiences at the right time of day with the right light to whether it's um, experiencing uh, the boxing gym. Again, these are all under the people-to-people um, types of activities that, um, that you do under that type of visa. Right. Um, we will do a lot of photo walks, take advantage in the morning, in the evening, the sunsets. Uh, we also will do reviews a couple during the week. Um, and so it really, those tours are really for the photographer because it's really like 24-7. I'm also going to start doing some some non-photography only tours. So there's a lot of people who want to go to Cuba and experience more the culture and the food and all of that. And so I'm working on putting some of those together. And I'm also hopefully going to be working with The Giving Lens, um, which is uh, Colby Brown, um, has an organization, Giving Lens, and they're doing some Cuba work as well. So I'm hoping to do that uh, beginning of next year. Uh, and then, like I said, other, other projects, um, wanting to do more small, intimate things uh, with the photography industry as well. Um, Shout out to Lindsay Adler because I have this vision of taking Lindsay Adler to Havana and a photo shoot with a big red car and a woman in a big red dress. And I see it. I keep telling her, Lindsay, we're (laughs) going to make it happen. Um, But no, having those those smaller, unique experiences um, are also things that I, I invite people to connect with me about as well. And where can people go to find out about about the tours? Well, my, my website is Kenna K photo. So Kenna K photo.com. My Instagram that is Cuba only is at Cuba photo. One word. My regular Instagram is at Kenna Klosterman, my full name. Uh, but those are, of course I'm on Facebook too, but um, really to see the most of my Cuba work that I'm publishing really is that Instagram. Um, and then, but contacting me through my website, which also has um, that Instagram feed and my portfolio of Cuba work, um, as well as other things that are going on. I'm putting together an exhibit um, that's going to be with those photographers from that one car garage photo school. I'm bringing their work here to Seattle, actually this summer. And so I'm really excited about doing that and going to be exhibited at the University of Washington. And so really trying to continue to, to, yeah, bridge gaps and expose people to the art of Cuba, the culture of Cuba, the people of Cuba, because it's just that heart and spirit is, makes me feel alive. And I want other people to experience that. That's awesome. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? So my photographer, I don't know if you had her um, on the Candid Frame, but is Deanne Fitzmorris. She is uh, an amazing Pulitzer Prize winning photojournalist that I have admired for many years, but also have become friends with and now traveling with. And her ability to do these deep, deep human stories 
that represent much bigger issues. Her her Pulitzer Prize was on a story about Salah, um, a little Iraqi boy that was blown up and and um, made his way to the U.S. Um, and to be treated and was um, in a series of amazingly uh, fortunate events survived. And so she's been working with she. She has been working on his story or with him for 13 years now. Mm. And uh, right now she's in Kenya doing um, some work, along another long-term project um, with some kids who live on the street. And I'm just, I'm in awe of her ability to tell stories and her humbleness as a human being and, and just being able to see how she works. Um, and and what she does is just phenomenal. Right. Yeah, I, we actually did interview Deanne years ago, but I'll have a link for that interview on the show. If you guys haven't heard it, you should most definitely take a listen. Oh, awesome. Well, then can I give you another? Yeah, okay. <laughs> so another photographer that I would highly recommend checking out is, is my Cuban friend. So speaking of Cuban photographers, um, is my friend Alain Gutierrez, and I can spell that out for you. Um, but he, I introduced him to Instagram, to the concept of Instagram. Okay. Now probably 18 months or coming up on two years ago. And I said, you've got to get on Instagram. Um, your work is phenomenal, a lot of street photography, um, but he's, not a lot of people in Cuba were doing that. And so... He got on and he is religiously posting just about every day. And it's really not just his photos, but the stories he tells along with it. If you want to know about life in Cuba from a Cuban photographer, uh, his his Instagram, he, he says one word and then he writes a, along with the image and then he writes sort of a passage about that. Um, that is kind of explaining some cultural aspect and he is is phenomenal photographer and human being. Uh, so well, I look forward to, to checking his stuff out, and I will include the link in the uh, in the show notes. Great. So, Ken, I thank you so much. It was really a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been great. Thanks again for joining me, and thanks to Kenna for joining us on TCF. To find out more about the courses offered by Creative Live, visit creativelive.com. And thanks for your continued support of The Candid Frame. If you haven't already, please take the time today to write a review in the iTunes Store. Your ratings and comments help people to discover the great conversations like the one you heard today. Thanks to Natagogo for his five-star review. You can also support the show by making a monthly contribution through Patreon. Visit patreon.com forward slash the candid frame, or you'll find a link in the show notes and the candid frame website. Or if you just want to make a one-time contribution to the show, you can do so via PayPal by clicking on the donate button on the candid frame website or the show notes. Thanks to Jim Kelly for his recent contribution. It's very much appreciated. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows. It's the fastest and most convenient way to hear and save any of the great interviews we present here at TCF. Links for each can be found in the show notes and the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod whose royalty-free music can be found at Incompetech.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at simply at IbadianX. And this is IbadianX, and this is The Candid Frame.